Uh, we've been looking at the book of Luke. We started last year and then we took a little break and then we've picked it up and we're uh, looking at it again. And uh, we're really grateful this morning to have um, one of our great friends of Vintage with us. You'll know that at Vintage, we're part of a network of churches in LA uh, called Vintage, and then we're part of a wider network called HTB. But we also have a number of different churches which are very much our, our really good friends. And one of the churches which we have so much shared heritage and history with um, is Rock Harbor Church in uh, Costa Mesa. Uh, we have a lot of staff that have gone backwards and forwards over the years, and they're another church who just share the same values of word and spirit that we do. And so we're really grateful to have Ben Simonson with us this morning. Uh, ben is the pastor of prayer and care. Did I get that right, roughly? Something like that. Um, he's one of the, the senior team at Rock Harbor. He's an amazing friend of vintage. He's preached across our vintage churches before. And it means that if I invite Ben and have Ben lead worship and I host the service, we have like a holy trinity of Ben's, which can only be decided as a very good thing, uh, in my view anyway. So we're really grateful to have Ben coming to bring the next part of our uh, Luke series. Um, but before he does, we're going to have our reading for this morning, and Diamond is going to come and bring that to us. So if you have your Bibles, uh, if you've got them on your devices, um, then you can follow along in the next bit of our reading from Luke's Gospel. All right. Today's scripture will be coming from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain, rub them in their hands, and eat the kernels. Some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also, gave them some, he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it. He looked around at them all and, said, and then said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Thank you. Amazing. Hey, well, good morning. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. I'm going to assume that you are all smiling right now and that whenever I tell a joke, you are smiling from ear to ear. That's how I'm going to interpret your mass this morning. Uh, as, uh, as Ben said, my name is Ben. And yes, we are actually what worship Ben, as it's worship Ben, you'll be pastor Ben, I'll be teacher Ben this morning. That's, that's how we'll do it. Uh, but, uh, or we can actually go with the Trinity theme, can't we? Right? We, we could say like, which, you want to be father, right? You could be father, Obviously, Jesus uh, earlier, and then I guess that makes me Holy Spirit, so that's perfect. <laughs> uh, maybe that's a bit sacrilegious. If you're watching online, please don't tune out. Come back, you know. Uh, but my name is Ben. Uh, yeah, I'm from a church called Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa. 
uh, and I've bravely crossed what many have considered to be the orange curtain uh, to join you all today. It is a thing, uh, but I'm, I'm so grateful to be here. As Ben said, uh, we really are, I think, in the same, uh, you could use that word network, but really it's the same family of, of churches. Of course, we're families uh, with everybody who professes Jesus as Lord, whatever country, whatever tribe, um, even church tradition, if you, Jesus is Lord and Savior, we're, we're one family with the entire, you know, church. But there is something special when there's churches who carry like a similar DNA, a similar vibe, a similar culture. And so when I get to come to Vintage Church, man, I, I get so excited because that word and spirit, and not just word and spirit, but I really think it's even more, it's word, spirit, and a love for one another. And I see that in this community already getting to be part of pre-service prayer and some of the pre-service prep. Uh, it's been amazing to see you and get to hang with some of the team. So I'm grateful to be here, grateful to get to hang with you guys. And I do apologize that I speak American and not English. Uh, I, I know that normally your preaching is elevated, and today it's not going to be quite as elevated. <laughs> so I apologize in advance. Uh, I have a family, uh, which I have a picture of them. And as you can see, they are uh, much better looking than I. And you can also see that I have a favorite outfit. Uh, which I'm, you know, my team makes fun of me often for wearing this, basically this, I call it a jacket, it's a flannel, I guess, uh, repetitively. This is my winter shirt. Uh, you know you only need one when you live in Southern California, and so this is mine. Uh, but that right there next to me is Bethany, she's my wife, uh, seven years, and then um, uh, Nora is the one who's dressed, this was for Halloween, she doesn't always get to dress like a princess dancer, uh, but that's her on Halloween, and nor do we all, always, that's Charlie, the youngest, he's not always dressed like a penguin. So, um, but uh, if you zoom in on his face, which you can't, but, but if you look, the resemblance is uncanny because he has this grumpy face <laughs> that is just perfect. Uh, but that's my family. Nora is just turned three. Charlie uh, just turned four months. Uh, so we're still measuring him by months and days, but they're amazing people. Um, they, they would love to be here to be with you, but Bethany tries to avoid my preaching at any chance she gets. Uh, so they are not here with me, but um, thankful again to be with you. Uh, we want to hop right into the, um, the message, and I want to begin with this question. Uh, have, have you ever been in a situation where uh, you were doing something that made perfect sense to you, but it did not make sense to those around you, like kind of like a clash of cultures, maybe? If anybody's married, you know that like marriage, like the best way to define it is just the competition of two normals right? That's like what marriage really is. It's like, wait, is it, are we going to choose my normal or your normal? Or are we going to create a new normal together? And that happened to Bethany and I, when we were dating, I, uh, we were talking about like, okay, like, what do you do? Like, what are some of the normal things of your family or whatever? And somehow this came up that I told her that my family has ice cream every night. Like, like every night of my life growing up, we had ice cream. So much so that like, I didn't even know that there was like, like boutique, nice, like, like you can buy a pint for, you know, $20 or whatever, like nice. I, like we only ever bought the huge tubs of ice cream. Anybody ever have that? Did anybody have this grow up with this? Yes, the tub. Ironically, the tub that we used, like my mom would save those and reuse them for other stuff. So like that's where our Halloween candy would go. It was also when we got sick, that was the tub. <laughs> kind of awkward, right? Uh, never put it back in the freezer. Uh, but we, uh, we had the tub of ice cream. We ate ice cream every night. And she, Bethany looks at me, she says, wait, so you're telling me you had dessert every night for dinner? I said, no, we didn't have dessert every night for dinner. We, we had ice cream every night. And she's like, that's dessert. I was like, no, it's not. We had this argument about if it's dessert or if it's not. It's not dessert. You know, dessert's like cake and cookies. Is anybody with me on my side or are you all on my wife's side? 
It's obviously, you're on my wife's side. And, and you can imagine which culture we took over. I thought we'd for sure, like ice cream, that's what everybody would know. But she says, no, this is the culture of our family. No ice cream every night. You can do it about once a month. That's what you get. That's what she gave me. Uh, and, but there is this kind of experience that we can have, right? Where what feels normal to us or, or what we experience as our culture or our way of being, our way of doing life, even sometimes our way of following God, uh, Sometimes new information or new experience, new context can reshape how we think. In fact, my journey with the Holy Spirit, which we're not even going to talk about um, in, in depth today, but my journey with the Holy Spirit is I grew up not believing that uh, the Holy Spirit did any of the miraculous stuff today. That was my context. That was my world. And as I searched the scriptures, uh, uh, Jesus and the, really the Holy Spirit started to illuminate to me that this stuff is for today. And so it was the scripture that 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 caused me to change how I viewed reality, how I navigated reality. And in fact, sometimes our interpretation of scripture can, can determine what we think is real, but then Jesus shows up and he wants to redefine our normal. In fact, uh, sometimes he flips our world upside down. Has anybody experienced that from Jesus before? Yeah, he's flipped your world upside down. And in fact, sometimes maybe a better metaphor is that uh, perhaps our world is actually upside down. Does it kind of feel like that in our, in our day, in our moment, that the world feels a bit upside down? I think Jesus wants to come and turn the world right side up. In fact, I think that's what he's given the Pharisees in this passage an opportunity to do. And surely the man with the shriveled hand. And so this morning, I want to invite us to consider a new normal. I want to invite us to consider the new thing that the Holy Spirit's doing in the church today. I want to invite us to look to this text, the ancient text, in order to discover uh, how Jesus is flipping our world right side up, even right now, through this disruption. So let's start with a little bit of context. Okay, what's the big deal in this passage? Uh, what's the big deal? Disciples are walking through this grain field and they're picking grain. Uh, to Western eyes, what we might think at first, at face value, is like, oh, they're stealing. That's the problem. The fairies are saying, why are you stealing this grain? But that's actually not the problem. According to Levitical law, it was actually perfectly fine. It was built into their economic system that uh, after uh, the field was harvested, you actually couldn't go back and, har and harvest for a second time. The poor, the working class could actually walk through the fields and pick the grain. So it's not a matter of if uh, they're allowed to do this. It's a matter of when they're allowed to do it. Does anybody have a friend or maybe a coworker who doesn't understand when it's time to eat and when it's not time to eat? Yes, okay, so I have a coworker like this, and in fact, he leads our emotionally healthy spirituality and our emotionally healthy relationships course. So we actually kind of role play this out often in front of other people. So it's, it's respectful for me to do this. There's not disrespect, I should say. But Jesse, his name is, uh, he is not only a loud chewer, but his jaw kind of clicks a little bit when he chews, and he will take any kind of loud food into a meeting like an apple, a bag of chips. And, and he's not like trying to be discreet about it. Like, you know how you can kind of, he's just like, <laughs> like in the middle of a serious meeting to the point where we have to say, Jesse, what do you do? Like, hey, there's a time to eat, there's a time not to. In many ways, that's happening uh, with the Pharisees saying, hey, this is not the time to eat. Why? Because this is the Sabbath. See, the idea is that Sabbath was a day reserved for rest. Biblically, it was a, it was a day uh, throughout the Old Testament reserved for uh, resting in God. And in reality, this is a good command. I think sometimes we look at the Pharisees, they get a bad rap. We think of Pharisees as purely as hypocrites. But in, 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 in actuality, the, the Pharisees actually sometimes are motivated by right things. They, wanna, they want um, God's people to draw closer to God. 
They want to bring about the resurrection life of the new age, of the kingdom of God. They long for the Messiah to visit them. In fact, there was, there was a belief among some of the more extreme Pharisees that if everybody in Israel just obeyed the Ten Commandments for a single day, Messiah would come. This idea that if we do what's right, if we are perfect, or if we perfectly obey the law, if we perfectly keep God's commands, if we perfectly embody the culture that he wants for us, then God will show up, then God will visit us, then God will do the thing we long for him to do. The problem with the Pharisees, though, is that they start to take these meticulous laws and they use them as ways to control God and to control other people. And they take these laws and these regulations uh, and, and it's, it's kind of like uh, you have the, the Ten Commandments and you have the Mosaic Law and then, and then they build these extra regulations around. And again, on some level, we do this all the time and stuff. So like uh, common knowledge, right? Common knowledge for us is that when there's oncoming traffic, you do not run into the middle of the street. We could call that a law. Like a, 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 you call it American law, Western law, and any civilization that has a car, you know, don't run out into oncoming traffic. That's actually the law. Right? That's actually the rule that we keep. But then what we do when we teach our kids, they're not always going to remember that, and so we actually give them um, a, a caution, a fence around that law, don't we? We say, what do you do? When you, when you say, stop, look both ways. Or just stop, look, listen. Right? That's what Nora is learning, that we're teaching her that right now because we live on a pretty busy street. Stop, look, listen. If you're going to um, be near the street or even to our driveway, we'll say that because there's a long alleyway where other cars park at our apartment. And so it's this idea that that's not the law. The law is don't go into the street, but, but we build this thing around it, and the Pharisees have done just that with Sabbath. So don't do any work has turned into, you know, that if you, if you pick up some, some bread and you tear it apart, that's work. So you can only eat pre-torn bread on the Sabbath. Or, or, or if you, you can uh, uh, eat the meal, but you can't wash the dishes, right? They've built all these things around because they want to be so careful about doing what's right. And so the, the, the Pharisees have built this, uh, 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 this, this way of being that's encased in legalism. And I think sometimes their motives are right, but their methods are often wrong. They long for the liberation of God's presence and his kingdom to come. They long for Messiah to come. And yet when the Messiah comes, because he breaks their rules, they can't see him when he arrives. And I would love to say that this is just something that they do or they did. Often, do you, know, do you ever do this when you read the Bible? You either are the person who needs the healing or you're the person who's doing the healing, but you're never the person who's resisting the work and will of God. I find myself, if I'm honest, more, more and more identifying with Pharisees. More identifying with, with the religious who sometimes get all bent out of shape by the messiness of the Holy Spirit or the messiness that Jesus brings when his kingdom comes. See, I think they've done what we often do is they've built an extra biblical culture. Now, we don't do that, do we? Like, like, like if, if maybe one Sunday, Ben and the team said, hey, we're not gonna have donuts, you guys wouldn't get upset about that, right? That sounds like, at our church, we had this after where we, we actually switched donut providers. That's all we did, right? We just switched the, 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 the shop that brings the donuts. And I'm telling you, like, women in ministry, uh, move of the Holy Spirit. Like if somebody has a demon and we cast it, nobody really cares, but we change the donuts, everybody cares. Like, why did you do this? What do you, you know, the church is corrupted. Like what do you, you know, and it's this, this idea that we get upset. Or maybe it's something a little bit more serious for you, right? Maybe, maybe it's uh, 
uh, when, when this feels like a safe place and then all of a sudden unbelievers enter the space. And all of a sudden this safe place that's great for kids, which it is great for kids obviously, uh, uh, becomes a place where, where, where uh, uh, folks who are just learning how this stuff goes start to enter into. I remember um, being in the bathroom at our church and, uh, and, and there was a guy talking to another guy at one of the stalls and he just, uh, I, th- I think he had just recently come through Alpha. And he goes, man, I just effing love the Holy Spirit, right? He's got no clue that that's not, those two don't go together. And in fact, the other guy leans over to him. I think he's more seasoned. He's like, me too, you know? Like he knows, right? That this is actually a good thing. Uh, there's a story that John Wimber, you know, uh, one of the founders of the Vineyard Movement uh, used to talk about. And it was this, this little older lady who came to him and she said, uh, Pastor John, you're ruining my church. All this move of the Holy Spirit. All these unbelievers coming in, you're ruining my church. And often as a pastor, you kind of, these types of situations come to us every now and again. And, and often, if I'm honest, sometimes what I want to do is go like, listen up, like you got to, and, and John didn't do that. He, he, he looked at her with compassion and, and he realized in that moment, and he said, you're right. You're right. But if the Holy Spirit's here, turning things upside down, who am I to resist what he's doing in this place? See, I think often we, we love our uh, extra biblical culture and we prefer it to the culture of the kingdom because this culture is comfortable. This culture is safe. I know, I know when I come to service, I get three songs, a couple of prayers, some announcements, a nice little preach that lifts me up and then, and then I get a couple more songs and I get to go home. I get to live life normal, maybe with a little bit of a Jesus high, but I think what Jesus has come to do is upend our religious systems, upend our religiosity. In fact, we just sang about that, didn't we? I'm available to this. Like you can break tradition, God. If, if, if my tradition, if my, if my way of following you is getting in the way that you actually want me to be and follow you, if, if my Christianity is getting in the way of the move of God's kingdom, Maybe it's time for a change. Some ways that we do this. How do I know if I'm confusing the two? I think one, and we've mentioned this already, if I'm irritated by non-believers or the way non-believers are infiltrating the church. Or, or maybe another one is uh, if I'm, if I'm un- more annoyed by the Holy Spirit's move and that the service went a little bit long or that it was a little bit uh, uh, clumsy or that it was a little bit odd or that there was emotions or, or there was strange things. Like if I'm more upset by the mess that God sometimes bring than I am by the healing that is often a result. I might be stuck in patterns of religion or, or, or number three, maybe uh, when we're more in love with our methods than we are with the move of God. How many of us experience that? We're inside, we're outside, we're online, we're meeting, we're not meeting. We have to meet at a different place. We have to, and we experience this and, and many in fact, from that kind of Small disruption have instead built new patterns, not built around the movement of the Spirit and the community of God, doing whatever we can to gather in whatever way we can. We've moved out of the community of believers. Why? Because we're uncomfortable. And four, and this is probably the biggest one that I think the Pharisees are experiencing here, is when we start to adopt the world's ways, expecting the ways of this world to bring about the fruit of God's kingdom when we start to rely on our, on our gimmicks and our production value and our orderliness, our, our striving, 
our, our achievements, when we start to rely on those things or, or perfectly keeping the rules or putting up a, a more Christian self when there's actually chaos going on within, often these are the things that we do and we resist the Holy Spirit's move even in the name of longing for the Holy Spirit. See, when Jesus shows up into this place, into a grain field and into a synagogue, Jesus breaks the norms. He upends the status quo. In fact, that's the first point, and we've been talking about it. We're leading into that first point. Is Jesus upends the status quo. He disrupts the status quo. And in fact, his, his behavior is a, is a silent critique of the Pharisaic way of following God. Of all those ways that we try to manipulate God, of all the ways that we try to control God and control one another and control the environment so as to be comfortable. It's a silent critique on this. See, I think often uh, we see sin as a, a breaking of rules. That's what the Pharisees do, right? They see sin as, as, as I'm breaking the rules uh, and that's sinning. Do you know that, that sin is not a breaking of the rules? Sin is the reason that there are rules. In fact, often uh, most of the laws, in, like if you, ever, if you ever read the Ten Commandments, like do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery. Could you imagine a world in which those commandments are perfectly kept? But even that law gets corrupted because we start to use that law as a way to court favor with God. We use that law, and in fact, we, we add more things to it. It's not just, uh, it's not just uh, don't do these things and do these things. It's also, we, we add stuff like uh, dress a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, embrace a certain culture that often has nothing or little to do with the very kingdom of God, the culture of God's kingdom. But that's the status quo that Jesus wants to disrupt. He wants to break us out of spiritual cruise control. See, I think often we do this, we expect a God who will be over us, but not a God who will be among us and with us. We expect a God we can predict. We expect a God who will never disappoint us. By the way, if you have a God who never disappoints you, never surprises you, or never uh, breaks with your expectations, it's probably not God, it's probably an idol. Goes by the same name, God, but it's not this God. See, often I think we reduce Jesus to a Jesus that we can know exactly what he does, how he does it, and on what timetable he will do it. And instead, I think Jesus is inviting these Pharisees and he's inviting us this morning to re-fall in love with a Jesus that will do the unexpected in our lives. He'll do the unexpected in our gatherings. He will do the unexpected when we're walking through the supermarket. He'll, he's, he's less concerned about rigid rule following and more concerned about following the promptings and voice of the Holy Spirit wherever he's at work. And how is Jesus able to see things differently? This leads to point number two, which is really attached to the first one. Jesus upends the status quo. He, dis he disrupts the status quo, but he does it uh, because his motivation is love. The way of Jesus is the way of disruptive love. Jesus knows who he is and what he's here to do. In fact, that's what he's doing when he says, I am the, I'm the, when, he, when he claims this, uh, this identity of Messiah, and he sees his whole life as Messiah, as laying down his life for others. Huso Gonzalez, a theologian, calls Jesus uh, uh, the one who has a for others life. 
That's, he, he knows who he is. He's God's Messiah. And so therefore, he knows what he's here to do and how he's going to do it. Subversive love for the sake of others, laying down life for the sake of others. And here's the irony is that the Pharisees and Jesus read the same Bible. It's not a matter of, of, of which uh, group sees the authority of the word of, the God, of God and which group doesn't. It's that they have different priorities when they come to the word of God. And those priorities dictate what they're gonna step into. Craig Keener, a biblical scholar, says this about this text. He says, the religious priorities differ. Jesus doesn't question the Bible's authority. He demands instead a very different way to understand the scripture and therefore a different way to apply it. So he tells this story, right, about David. And Jesus is saying, look, look, if King David was able to go into the temple and eat the consecrated bread, literally the bread of the presence that only the priest can eat. How much more when the Son of Man is among you, when the Messiah is among you, can he and his disciples eat whatever bread God supplies? See, uh, remember last week we talked about feasting and fasting. This is another moment of feasting, and this is a feasting that is disruptive to the status quo. It breaks with the norm. They're eating at the wrong time. They're eating in the wrong way. They're not eating in a way that God had previously sanctioned or non-sanctioned. And Jesus is saying, look, if David could do it and he fed his companions, his warriors, how much more can I feed my disciples with this grain? How much more can I feed my disciples with the bread of the presence that they can feed on the presence on the day of rest? See, Jesus is doing two things in this, in this claim. He's doing two things in this claim. He's saying the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's both Lord over the Sabbath, as in Jesus was the word through which Sabbath was created. The day of rest was instituted by the very word of God. That word of God is Jesus himself. He was there resting on the very first Sabbath. And if anybody knows how to Sabbath, it's Jesus, the one who created it, the one whom through it was created. But he also uses that phrase, son of man. Son of man, uh, it's a messianic title, but the most direct translation would be the human one. And in fact, in Matthew's version of this same story, Matthew majors on, uh, on his identity as, as, as son of David, son of God. One greater than the temple is here, is what Matthew will say. In Mark's version, he says, he majors on, on Jesus' human identity. Was man made for Sabbath or was Sabbath made for man? And here Luke is geniusly combining the two. And he's saying, the son of man is even Lord over the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was made through him, but the Sabbath was made for him. And in fact, because he perfectly embodies humanity, the Sabbath was made for all of us. And there is nothing better than feasting on the bread that God provides. The bread of the presence, which we're gonna do in just a little bit. Feasting on that bread, finding our sustenance, our life in that. Because if, if David and his warriors could do it, how much more Jesus and his disciples who are the warriors fighting against the kingdom of darkness. God will sustain us and we can find rest in his presence. See, Jesus knows how to bring Sabbath rest. He knows how to feast, but his feast is disruptive to those who are upholding the status quo. See, I think the love of God, uh, the love of Jesus disrupts whatever normal we cling to. 
any normal that is, is, is aligned with the present evil age. Jesus disrupts it and instead offers us a new pattern, a new way of life. And when we are aligned to this kingdom of darkness, this new way of life, this kingdom of God life, this spirit-filled life, enables us to feast on bread that we previously didn't have access to. Enables us to, 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 to eat and dine with God in a way that was previously unavailable to us. See, it's a subversive love, it's a disruptive love that invites the outsider in and lets the outsider eat. But here's the challenge. What you see is what you get. The Pharisees see Jesus and they think pretender. They think not a Messiah. They think uh, far away from God, can't even keep the simple aspects of our law and our tradition. And you know the fruit of that life, of that rejection of Jesus well, in this passage, we say they, they move from questioning to conniving. By the end of the book, we'll see them crucifying. This is the, the fruit of their rejection. This is the fruit of, of trying to bring about the kingdom through, through the methods of the kingdom of darkness. But look what happens to the man with the shriveled hand. See, here's a guy whose life is shriveled by death. Like he literally, if you, he holds out his hand, it's smaller, it's grayer, it's, it's breaking apart. And Jesus actually tells him, hold out your hand. Like, like, like put your death straight forward. In fact, if you notice, this is something the Pharisees will not do. Their laws, their regulation, their religiosity, keep their death bottled up inside. See, the reality is, is whether it's the shriveled hand, someone who has sickness on their body, an effect of the fall, not resulting from your sin, but resulting from the sin that's permeated our creation, the brokenness, the darkness. And then there's another type of brokenness that lives within, bitterness, malice, rage, deceit, judgment, mercilessness. And Jesus says to the man, hold out your hand because he wants to bring restoration. He wants to bring healing. And I believe in this passage, the Pharisees refuse the healing that is actually offered to them. And this man receives the healing. And look which, how, how each of them walk away, one filled with joy and life and wholeness, healing that leads to further wholeness and the other, a life that leads towards death. Justo Gonzalez says this. He says, uh, a miracle is not an interruption of an order, but ra rather it's the eruption of the true order, the order of the creator God into the demonic disorder of the present world. It is a sign of God's victory over the powers of evil. It is an announcement that the new order is at hand, that ultimately power belongs to the God of creation, of true order, of freedom, and of justice. The miracles of Jesus in the gospel are not just a validation of his mission and teaching, although of course they do validate it, don't they? But the miracles embody and are a part of the very good news itself. Here's this, the reality. When we pray for healing, not everyone is healed. 
but everyone can be made whole. Everyone can be made whole. In fact, even the healings we experience, foretastes of, of God's kingdom, foretastes of, of, of the future that we will one day all experience when there's no more crying, no more death, no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrow. We get to experience that in part now and those foretastes of the kingdom lead us to that future wholeness. They give a little glimpse of that future wholeness even now and often uh, in our own life, in my own life, my wife uh, uh, dealt with uh, a sickness for many, for many months, uh, for about the better part of a year. And we actually felt God just as much in the pain when he found solidarity with us as we did in the ultimate healing that he brought about. Jesus wants to offer us a healing that leads to wholeness. So the invitation is to extend our shriveled hand both to the Pharisee and to those of us who are wear our brokenness on our sleeves or know that we need his healing touch, know that we need his restoration. But if we will not come to terms with our own sickness, with our own perversions, with our, with our own brokenness, with, with, the own, with the things that are, that, that, that are actually in our lives that are not of God, if we won't come to terms with it, we can't come to Jesus and be healed. See, what you see is ultimately what you get. And we notice in this passage what you get is also what you give. See, Jesus receives the love of his Father and the power of his Holy Spirit. And so that's what he gives away to the world. And his disciples are trained in that same ethic of love. Experience the love of the Father, be filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so that you can extend that love wherever you are. The Pharisees reject, move away, crucify. Jesus sees God's love and he gives it away. He chooses a relationship over a regulation. He lets love be the guide. He says, feast on the bread and then invite others into the feast. Experience my love and learn how to love others. Lay down your life. Live the for others life as I have lived it. I really do think in this time, in this moment, that the Holy Spirit is taking, uh, is taking this moment, this you know, COVID-19, uh, many of the other disruptions we've felt over the last couple years, and he's using this not causing it, but using it to disrupt the church. He's using it to form, I think, a batch of more resilient disciples who will follow him wherever he goes, who will choose the Christian life even, even when uh, the healing doesn't come, will choose uh, to, to abandon or, or let go of or even release our church culture of the past to step into the new thing God wants to do in this time. Do you know what often is the thing that follows a revival? So in one generation, there's a revival. Do you know what the next generation typically does? They turn to legalism because they want so badly to preserve the thing God did in the past that they fail to see the new thing God's doing in the future. 
See, I think the Pharisees are so trapped in what God did through the Old Testament and they so want to repeat, they so want those promises fulfilled that they will do anything to have it back, even if it's killing and violence and manipulation and control. And instead, Jesus says, that's not my way. I bring an ethic of love. I bring a new way of life. I bring the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, not to uplift myself, but so that I can be humbled to serve. Jesus, the Spirit-filled man, stoops down to serve. Everybody else is coming into the gathering expecting to hear a good teaching, maybe some good fellowship, maybe some good donuts. Jesus comes in saying, where's the person who's shriveled? Where's the person who's experiencing death in their life? How can resurrection life come to you right now? See, resurrection life doesn't come through rigid rule following. It comes through manifestations of God's love and his presence. So as we come into land, I... I think there's probably a few groups of people here. And and in fact, maybe why don't we do this? Why don't we stand? And I'm gonna say those groups. We're gonna do that inside the posture of prayer. So I wanna invite you to maybe close your eyes. Um, And what we do at Rock Harbor, I'd imagine you guys do it, is I put my hands out often to receive. uh, Because we wanna receive the new thing God's doing in us, around us, and through us. And so come Holy Spirit, we invite your presence now. I'd imagine there's some of us who we feel like the man with the shriveled hand. And the invitation for you this morning is to simply receive the healing, receive the life of God's presence. Maybe that healing is gonna come through forgiveness for something you've done. Maybe your hand is shriveled because uh, you're experiencing an addiction or you're experiencing bitterness or rage. Maybe it's greed or envy. Maybe it's a a relationship that's broken that you're hanging on to, a hurt that you've experienced from the past. It could be a sin you've committed, sure. It could be a heart posture you're hanging on to, but it could also be something that's been done to you, something that wasn't your fault, something that you're carrying now. And maybe you're experiencing that kind of brokenness. And the Lord is saying to you simply, hold out your hand. He wants to bring healing and life and restoration. And so, Lord, we just pray for that group now. If that's anyone here, Lord, pour out your love, pour out your presence, pour out your healing touch. I think there's another group who um, you want to step into acts of disruptive love. Like you've been captivated this morning by saying, I don't want to be in the pattern of the religious. I want to be in the pattern of the kingdom of God. And so if that's you, I just pray for a fresh anointing, fresh eyes to see uh, that the Holy Spirit would give you the courage to see, or the ability to see, but then the courage really to respond, to humble yourself, to, to risk uh, humiliation, to risk uh, a break of your, in your reputation in order to embody God's subversive love through your life. So I pray for that, Lord, a manifestation of of disruptive love, a love that sees the other, the outcast, the lost and the lowly, and goes out not to convert but to serve so that your love can work, so that your love can do the heavy lifting, so that your spirit can move. And then the last group I want to speak to is those of us 
And more than I care to admit, this is me. Who, if we're honest, we identify mostly with the Pharisees. Those who are resisting the new thing God's doing because we love the last thing he did. And I think the Holy Spirit wants to invite us to let go and step in. To release our regulations, release the comfort, and release even our expectations of what the culture should or shouldn't look like. And instead, receive the new thing the Holy Spirit wants to do. He wants to break us with the patterns of the old creation and birth a new creation life within us. And so Holy Spirit, would you just come and do your work? Would you minister now? Speak words of life. And let's just wait and linger in this space for just a moment longer. One of the things I love about Jesus, but also, if I'm honest, irritates me, is he loves to take old things and do new things with them. I mean, that's what we're about to step into with communion, isn't it? He took an old feast and he gave it new meaning. I think that's what he's done with the church for 2,000 years. He takes an old thing and he gives fresh revelation, a fresh filling of the spirit for the new thing he wants to do in each generation. And I just want to speak to those um, who are over 40 in the room. Uh, I think that the Lord is, is saying of your life, he wants to take an old thing and do a new thing through it. It's funny, that same posture we learn in Alpha, uh, I think he wants, he wants to do that in us learn to listen, learn to love, learn to get on board with the new thing that God's doing, learn to release the past in order to step in. And I think the promise the Lord wants to speak over you now is that when you release all the extras, you're gonna find what your heart's really been longing for all along. You're gonna find the thing that you first fell in love with. You're gonna find his word You're gonna find his spirit, you're gonna find his love, you're gonna find his radical life. But it's gonna take risking stepping into a church that you've never seen before. It's gonna take risking uh, embodying the way of Jesus that break with cultural norms. And I think the Lord wants to minister that to you. And then those who are younger, in in the community. I think the Lord wants to do something in you. Um, He doesn't want you to baptize every new thing uh, in his spirit. 
Instead, he wants to teach you the wisdom and discernment, maybe even from the older generation, about the new thing he wants to do. It'll be consistent with the old, but it'll take on a new flavor, a new flair. And so I think the Lord wants to invite you in to be on the forefront of the new thing, but he wants to have an anchor, a tether in the community of faith that's 2,000 years old, in the scriptures that are even older than that. And he's saying, don't break the tether, don't break the line in the name of the Holy Spirit. But let the Holy Spirit strengthen the tether, let him strengthen the line so that you can step into the new thing I'm doing that's rooted in the thing that I've always been doing. That's bringing life and restoration and wholeness.